Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship video lectures. Today, our teaching leader, Vicki Tatko, will be sharing the vision and expectations of our class as we dive into the first week of our study in the book of Genesis. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. That's bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Now let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles, and join Vicki as she shares truths from God's Word. Hello, friends. Um, welcome to Genesis study, the book of the beginnings. My name is Vicki, and um, I've had the privilege to be part of the leadership team for our, our BSF young adult class in St. Louis for, I think, 13 or 14 years. Not, It's kind of blended together, but it's been super awesome. And um, this was not the start of the Genesis study that we had hoped for or even planned for and yet um, we are glad uh, I'm glad to see that God is still enabling us to spend time in his word um, and to meet virtually until it is safe to regather physically together um, so yeah and the you know even though this is hard I encourage you uh, press into the community that God is providing in BSF. Um, get connected to your group and your group leaders. I know it is going to be a little bit harder um, that we're not virtual, and yet how important it is now in this such a time when people are in hard places. Um, so, and I'm encouraged by the pattern of our God, who, um, though he allows hard things and suffering, that he is present with us in them and that he matures us as followers of Christ in that suffering and he brings unexpected and very tender blessings out of hardship. Um, so with that, I yeah, let's launch into our Genesis study and so I'm going to pray and then we'll um, yeah, we'll we'll go from there. Lord, thank you for being seated on your throne in such a time as this, that even though the world is upside down and so many things in our lives um, are hard or lonely or um, pressing, uh, Father, thank you that uh, we that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that we can and should uh, lean on you, especially during this time when things are um, when things are not as we would like them to be. And so, Lord, would you guide us as we start our time in Genesis? Uh, would you help groups to bond? And would you um, be with me as I speak? Help me to speak things that will be helpful to people and um, that would be true about who you are and your son is and encouraging. Um, so, Lord, I pray that, uh, yeah, you would, glorify, uh, you would glorify yourself in this time. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I wonder, when have you needed to go back to the beginning? When did you need to take a song from the top to start the movie over? When did you have to reboot the server? Have you had to tear out the drywall down to the studs? Um, When have you said, no, 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 (laughs) let me go back, let me start over um, to the people you've been telling a story to? I think that we go back to the beginning when minor adjustments aren't enough. A few details won't fill in the gaps and a spackle will not cover the problem. The band is out of sync because there's a problem. Your students completely bomb the test because there's a problem. Sometimes we do start at the beginning because it's a very good place to start, as the song tells us, and yet more often I think there are times when we go back to the beginning because that is what we really need. Beginnings establish the right frame, the right mindset, the right momentum. And when wise leaders take the people that they lead back to the beginning, it is for a purpose. The great football coach Vince Lombardi famously began his training camp in 1961 for the Green Bay Packers with holding out a football and saying to them, gentlemen, this is a football. Now he was talking to Every single person was a professional football player. They had played football for not months, but years upon years upon years. But they all, and they all knew that it was a football, but the stakes were high. And um, they could have been insulted, and probably some were. But Lombardi knew his players, and he knew they needed to go back to fundamentals. Now, the good news is for his story is that his players cooperated. cooperated. And in 1961, they won the NFL championship, which was a big change from where they had been um, on on a path of not having seasons that were that successful. Similarly, there was something going on with the Israelites in the desert. It must have been big. Um, We don't know exactly when, God inspired Moses to write Genesis. Moses is the most likely human author. Um, Moses was probably, he probably wrote it in a dark tent in the desert, hunched over a, a small smoky oil lamp. He probably wrote it not on a sabbatical, but on after a long day of leadership challenges and then um, day after day after day. So we don't know exactly when God inspired Moses to write Genesis, but we can infer why. When leaders take the people they lead back to the beginning, it is for a purpose. Moses knew, God knew, the Israelite people were missing the fundamentals. And the Israelites had seen, just seen, God's powerful deliverance. They were eating his bountiful supernatural provision of manna in the desert um, and how quickly they fell into grumbling and complaining, how quickly they went into idolatry and ultimately refusing to enter the land that God promised was for them, the good land. And so God disciplined them to 40 years of wandering in the desert. 
that was hard. It was a hard time. But God's discipline was because he loved them. He did not abandon them. He proved faithful to his covenant promises. He loved them. And in that time, that dis- he didn't say 40 years, I'm out, I'll come back in 40 years. He was with them, and he poured out his grace upon them to reshape them and reorient them. Genesis was part of that, that grace that God poured out. Life in the desert was hard. The Israelites' world had been turned upside down. What happened? How do we get here? Where are we going? Is there a God? Are there many gods? If there is a God, just one, what's he like? Has he forgotten us? Why are things so hard? Is this the new normal? Will we be in this desert forever? There was something going on that was so big, minor adjustments weren't enough. The Israelites needed a complete reframing of everything. Not a quick fix, not a little spackle. They needed to be taken back to the beginning. But the good news is, God's grace pours out to our problems. He came into this world. He reaches out to us to make himself known to us. He wants to be with us. Um, Because that's what God is doing. God, from the beginning of Genesis 1 until the end of Revelation 22, God is creating a people in Christ Jesus who will hear and and heed His voice. Um, And why will we hear and heed His voice? Because we love Him. So, what do I hope for this talk? Well, um, what do I hope for this year? I hope that God will change us, that we will become, wherever we are now, that we will become more like a people who will hear His voice, that we will want to hear His words, that we will cherish them, and that we will cooperate with Him in being changed. And so this talk is really, hopefully, my prayer is that it prepares us for that journey. Um, Because hearing is not a passive activity. Hearing is not something you can do when you're sitting down and just watching a TV show and everything goes on and you're just enjoying yourself. Hearing the words of God, being a people who hear His voice, takes cooperation. And so let's lay some groundwork for that. Um, So there's three parts of this talk um, that we're going to cover tonight. One, just briefly, how does communication work? And why is context so important? So that's the first thing. And then for the second and third things, we're going to look at Exodus 17, verses 1 to 7. And we're going to enter into the context of the Israelites in the desert. And um, we're going to look at uh, the relational, especially the context of uh, Genesis, especially the relational context between God and his people. And then we're going to, and that's verses 1 to 4 of Exodus 17. And then we'll work, um, then we'll look at God's response, the heart of the speaker of Genesis, um, his gracious response in verses 5 to 7. So um, with that, let's, we'll get started. So um, just a little bit now about how, com- how communication works and why context is important. Um, when someone asks you, do you know what time it is, how do you know what they mean? 
It depends a lot on context. Few people asking that question of you would mean strict facts. Do you know what time it is? Yes, yes, I do. Period. <laughs> End of conversation. If you're in the elevator, do you know what time it is? Probably means that someone wants to know the time, they forgot their phone, their watch, and uh, they want to know what time it is. If a friend said, do you know what time it is? They might want to want you to share in the excitement that they have about an event they're waiting for that's about to happen. Um, if your mom said to you when you were seven, do you know what time it is? It probably meant that it was past your bedtime and you weren't going to get to have ice cream as you had hoped. Um, if you walk into your office at 1.37 and your boss says, do you know what time it is? That means you might be having more conversations in the future with your boss about um, taking too long of a lunch break. Context, I know that's a silly little example, but context is always important in communication. Um, speech act theory, which I don't have time to get into, but um, the whole premise of that is that verbal communication is inherently relational and cannot be reduced to just the facts. And so when you and I go into to an active to studying the Bible, it is an act of communication. We are trying to hear the speaker, infer the context, and understand what is being communicated. Context is so important. Secondly, when a leader takes people back to the beginning, there's I think some extra things that we can notice. Um, here's two. One, leaders don't always tell you why they're doing that. Um, when your boss starts out and you and your colleagues are sitting in a meeting, uh, 10 years ago I only had two things in my pocket. Um, when your pastor starts a letter, when I first stepped foot in our church 31 years ago, when a football coach holds out a football and says, gentlemen, this is a football, they're not telling you why. They're taking you back. You're going to have to work a little harder to cooperate. You have to discern the leader's heart and mind. Why are they taking you back? And the second thing I think we can notice when a leader takes people back to the beginning, the why is usually a bigger deal. Um, at least the leader feels like it's important. The pastor may be running to retire. Vince Lombardi says, I'm not going to be associated with losers. <laughs> You're going to win, people. Um, your boss, maybe they're doing a big change, and maybe they're letting people go, or there's going to be a reorg. Um, something is big. And so um, when leaders take people back to the beginning, um, it's a little trickier, but it's important. So um, that's what I would like us to consider. Genesis... Is, are the words of a leader, Moses, inspired by God, taking his people back to the beginning. So we can expect that it's going to be a little trickier to discern what the, heart, what, what the main message is, but that it is, an important, it is important, it's a bigger deal than um, just a little, you know, oh, here's a, here's a story, I had all this extra time and I'm writing, I'm writing it down. Gentlemen, by the way, this is a football no, it's a big deal. Um, and so here's 
a question that I would like us to consider tonight, but then I encourage you and me to continue considering it throughout our study of Genesis. If Genesis is a key part of God's solution to his people, the Israelites in the desert, what was the problem? If Genesis is part of, because we know this wasn't the only thing that the Lord did, right, with his people Israel, Genesis is part of God's solution to a problem. What, in fact, was the problem? Um, And I suggest to you, the better we push into that question and try to understand the problem into which God spoke, Genesis um, had, had Moses write, to those people originally, the more cooperative and faithful modern readers we will be of that story. Um, so what was, the, what was the problem? Let's think about that. Um, because hearing God well involves understanding the context of his words. It takes work, and it's a little bit harder, but it's worth it. Um, so let's, oh, we're going to turn now to Exodus 17. So get out your Bibles. Um, or turn them on and we're going to look at this one event um, Exodus 17 verses 1 to 7 this is shortly after so Exodus begins um, verse uh, 1 with with Israelites enslaved in Egypt crying out to the Lord because of the hardship that they're experiencing and um, God raises up. He remember. He hears their cries. He remembers his covenant with Abraham, which we will learn about in Genesis. And he raises up a leader, Moses. And um, when Moses is eighty, it's time God sends him to um, Egypt and leads his people out. And in that process, there's a lot of miraculous signs and wonders. God is displaying His glory not only to the people of Israel but also to the whole world. Um, and so, most climactically, Exodus um, 14, he parted the Red Sea, um, saving the people of Israel who walked on dry ground, but simultaneously drowned Pharaoh and his army in that same water. And so, God got them out to the other side, and he was leading them. Um, God was leading them to Mount Sinai, as, um, where he would make a covenant with them. Um, a Mosaic covenant. They were to be his people, the heirs of this covenant with Abraham. And so as we look at these seven verses, um, there's uh, we're going to look at the first four verses for the context, and then we'll see God's posture of grace, verses five to seven. And so as we set out into this, this is like, again, a little snippet, but notice the questions. There are a lot of questions that are in this passage Questions in scripture invite reader reflection. So let's not breeze. We're going to go through this quickly, but I invite you to to go back to this and soak in these questions and think about them. Um, Okay, so 17 verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Okay, so... There's the setting, and um, I do have a slide that I think will be shown to you of um, the region in that area. It's a view from Jebu Musa, actually, which is the traditional site of Mount Sinai. 
in the Sinai Peninsula, and you can see how rugged that landscape is. There are not trees. There are not brooks. It does not seem like there is a cloud in the sky. There, um, it is a dry place. So this is a real problem. Um, there were a lot of people that God had um, allowed to grow in, in Egypt, and they didn't have any water to drink. Um, so verse 2, uh, So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? So Moses is naming, so there's the, the problem um, when we're invited to think about, you know, what do you think the people should have done when they had, when they were thirsty? Um, uh, should they have done what they did? Um, Moses then responds with two questions to name what the people were doing, um, demanding that he give them to the water. That why do you quarrel with me? Um, give us water to drink, and why do you put the Lord to the test? Um, the Lord knew that the people would need water to live. He made them that way. We will read about that in in. Genesis, how the Lord uh, has made us. Um, and yet, um, Moses exposed what they were really doing. The people had a choice then, after Moses said, hey, what you're doing is not good. You're putting the Lord to the test. Um, which, this is the same incident, by the way, that because Moses writes about it again in Deuteronomy six sixteen. Jesus quotes that reminder that Moses gave in Deuteronomy 6.16 when he is being tempted by Satan. Um, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So this is a theologically very significant concept. I know we're moving right by it, but um, it's a good thing to, as we're studying Genesis, come back here and think about that. What does it mean to put the Lord to the test? Why is that bad? Um, and so there's a lot more pondering that we can do there. But let's look. There is an opportunity at the end of verse 2 because Moses articulated the reality of what the people were doing. Now, when somebody shows you that you are doing something wrong, you and I have a choice too. Either we can listen, we can hear what they're saying, and we can stop, we can correct. Or we'll just say, no, this is the way I've always done it. I always want to park my car this way. I always want to talk this way. So we could press on. What do good hearers do? So that's a question for us to think about. When we are confronted with correction, what do good hearers do? Um, Sadly, we'll see an example that's probably not what we should do. Verse 3. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of, up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. So, what was the problem with the Israelites? Um, the one that likely led God, 
writing Gen- led to God prompting Moses to write Genesis. This was a God-sized problem. Um, this is only one that God could fix. Moses needed God's help. He could not remind the people, change their hearts, show them what the right response would be to the Lord who had taken care of them um, so often. This was, a, this was an accusation that the people of Israel would make many times um, on this journey that it was actually a plot that the Lord had or that Moses had to kill them. Um, and um, Moses needed God's help. This was a God-sized problem. And so um, part of the solution being Genesis implies that what God has had Moses write down and what he has preserved for us, these are not just human words. They are God's words, we believe, as Christians, and they carry his character because they're God's words. And so his words are trustworthy. We can rely on them. And yet, in this way um, that's mysterious, um, Scripture talks about... um, God's words being inspired. They're breathed out through humans. It's not like Genesis just came down and like plopped, like manna came down from heaven and nobody did that. And yet God involves people. God involves godly people in doing his work. And so the Bible that we have preserved for us, they it every single word had a human author. But we believe that they are God's words Still God's words carry God's character, and yet God worked through human authors so that his works, his words in here still bear the marks of human personality and authorship. And so that's a mystery. How, did that ha- how does that happen? It's a mystery. But this is a God-sized problem that Moses is facing. And so um, part of his, God's answer is, is not just human words, but God's words to meet that problem. Um, it's also an inside problem. The Israelite problem is an inside problem. And like all inside problems, it's a complex problem. So when life squeezed on the Israelites, they could not see beyond the pain of the moment. Um, uh, sorry, I just lost my way. Okay. <laughs> sorry. They couldn't see past the pain of the moment. Um, they they were confused in their minds. There, were, there was a head component. They were confused about who the Lord was, what his purposes were, what kind of leaders God would provide for them. Um, they were very confused about some of those facts. Um, but it was, also, it was not just a head problem that if God laid out all the facts for them, that like, oh, okay, perfect, now we're good. But it was ultimately a heart problem. They doubted God's goodness. They doubted his care. And when corrected by Moses, God's authorized spokesperson, they refused. They refused to accept um, the truth. And um, the author of, this is, like I said, a very theologically significant event. And so the psalmist of Psalm 95 talks about it. Um, And so I'm just going to go there and read that. Um, starting in verse 6. This is a song of praise for the congregation, the people of Israel. Um, Verse 6, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before God, our Maker. 
for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So that's the the right perspective of a people who hear God's voice. The psalmist goes on, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day in Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Um, So the problem, if Genesis is part of the solution that God graciously address this problem what's the problem it's a head problem and a heart problem um it's complicated it's probably a lot more complicated than that um and even though centuries and many many cultural differences separate us now westerners educated in the western culture in the 21st century um we have many many differences and yet as we will find out and read in Genesis, these problems, the Israelite problems, resonate uncomfortably with me. Do they resonate uncomfortably with you? When 2020 has squeezed on you, as it has squeezed on everyone, squeezed on us individually, um, corporately, in our churches, and it's squeezed on us as a nation, what has come out? Um, what kind of listeners to God have we, or hearers of God, have we proven to be? Have our questions, have your questions and my questions sound a lot like those in Exodus 17? What did you do to the toilet paper crisis? What, how have we responded to um, violent deaths in our nation? How are we approaching this political season? Um, how much do we need God's grace? We need it a lot. But the really good news is um, for you and for me and for all of God's people, um, God is gracious. God is not waiting for you and me to somehow wake up. It's like, oh my goodness, I, we, need to, we need to hear God's voice and love him back. He is not waiting for perfect people. He's calling repentant people to faith in Christ. Um, and so let's go on. We see, we're going to just see how the, the steps that God did to address this specific problem in Exodus 17. Um, so verse 7, or sorry, 5 through 7. The Lord answered Moses. Remember, the question was, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So there's a lot of mess in the Israelites 
Um, but God does not pull away from mess. He draws near. And so five quick things I think we can see about God and his character that will help us as we launch into Genesis. First thing, God answers. He speaks. Who is the Lord? He's the one who speaks. And when he speaks, it is not impersonal. It's not just facts. It's personal communication. It implies relationships. Our God draws near and wants us to be involved in communication with him. Um, Number two, we can see the Lord sets exemplars to walk in front of his people. He had told Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Um, What does it look like to trust God? Sometimes that's very hard to find out. Uh, Well, God gives us tangible examples to follow. He gives them many in Genesis. They're not perfect, um, but they point us toward the perfect, tangible, concrete, incarnate example in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our exemplar of faithfulness in every way, as well as being the sacrifice who reconciled us to God through his death and resurrection on the cross. Um, Three, the Lord teaches us through recognizable patterns. He told Moses, um, take with you some of the elders of Israel. Okay, so he he doesn't call us to serve him alone. There's that. But take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Go. Now, this was the same staff that he had told Moses to use in Exodus 3 throughout the whole Exodus process. All of his, all the plagues, or nearly all the plagues, the staff played a part of that. Um, why? Because God is a patient, patient teacher. He knows that we have a really hard time remembering who he is and his patterns, and he wants his people to learn his ways so we can draw the right conclusions about him and learn to trust him in our, in our current circumstances. Um, fourthly, the Lord is present. Um, so he says, I will stand there before you at the rock at Horeb. Not only does the Lord stay in the story with the people who don't really, you know, who don't, like they are going off one way and not, are not interested in, in who he is or being that kind of people that God has created them to be, but yet God in his grace shows his persistent plan to be not just in the story but with his people. Um, and then lastly, this fifth point, Um, we can see the Lord will provide. And so he did provide what they needed, the water. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Um, God's provisions and answers, God knows our needs, but even before we ask him about one. Um, But God's provisions and answers do more than meet us in the moment. They lift our eyes towards God's better, fuller plan. The people in the desert needed water. God provided that. But he provided for their need in such a way that would teach them his character and lift their heads, lift our heads as we are reading this to see and understand God's better, fuller plan for, um, for humanity. Uh, the people didn't just need water. They needed the water, the living water that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the spiritual rock um, that through, through which God provided water 
Um, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 10, 3. Jesus Christ is the perfect Son of God who came closer to us, made God known to us, and died and rose again that we might be with God. I heard someone say this, what is the most important piece of a puzzle? The top of the box. The top of the box shows you how everything fits together. And Genesis is that piece. In this book of beginnings, God lays out his plan and his framework so that we don't see just where we are right now, but he shows us where who he is and where history is going and how he will accomplish his plan to have this world that he's created be filled with life and flourishing, that the people that he created in his image would actually be reflecting his glory because they hear his voice and they love him. Um, so hold on to the context that we've seen in Exodus 17 as you study, you start your study of Genesis this week. And before we hear Genesis for ourselves, we should, I suggest to you, think first how Genesis spoke into the Israelites' upside-down world. That helps us understand that even though Genesis does have a lot of things to say about how did God, you know, God's creation of the world, perhaps it's not such that God is writing to, God had Moses write that so that we could be able to explain it to other modern people but rather to um, give the Israelites comfort that they, even though their world was upside down, that God was in control. And Genesis has us look at both the beauty and the pain. It's an exciting and complex story. It is the story of us, the people of God. Um, But in that, the knowledge, uh, this is the same God who is secure and loving toward his world in 2020. And God, the same opportunity to hear his voice is present with us. Um, God lays out in Genesis the world's deep need. And while he does judge sin and rebellion against his good kingship, his posture toward the world ultimately is that of grace and blessing. In many ways, 2020 has gotten the world's attention. Has it gotten your attention? The world feels feels upside down. This is a good place to hear from God. It's a good place to learn from him. In this book written to upside down people, we aren't naturally good hearers in ourselves, but God loves this world. And the God who is so gracious to the Israelites, we can trust and lean into that, that he will be gracious to us. He will will step into the mess He will open ears, open minds, open hearts, and lead us to put um, our faith in Christ for those who have not yet done that, but for those of us who are in Christ, um, that we might be transformed to be a people who hear God's voice and bring his message of good news to a hurting world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you um, for your grace. Thank you for including us Um, in your story for loving us so much that you will pursue us in hard and ugly and messy places. Uh, We ask, Lord, that you would continue your work in us. Help us to be good hearers of Genesis. 
help us to have hearts that want to focus on um, your heart and to um, display your glory in this world. Lord, I pray that even tonight or even today, you would help us um, to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF Podcast. Join us on Zoom next Monday at 7 p.m. as we study the first chapter of Genesis, learn about God's creation of the natural world, and His glorious plan for humanity. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international, interdenominational, nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and growing the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.